Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Massive welcome to you, whether you're joining us in person or online. Welcome to Ivy Church. Um, My name's Anthony Delaney. I lead the church in the various places in which it meets. And hundreds of us every week love meeting together in real places and buildings, like here is one of them, as Ivy. But um, we know and recognise too that lots of you connect via the website or social media or YouTube. I also know many of you who are with us somewhere in person connect first of all online and I have this conversation with lots of you. You come and check us out for weeks and months on the website and you watch the talks or the services. Then you come along and meet us if it's geographically possible. Or uh, if you're still wondering about whether to come and join us in person, please do. The invitation's there. Come and see us. Honest, we don't bite. Now, of course, most of the time people tend to think about church and they do think about buildings and Sunday mornings and there are lots of good things that can happen in church buildings and actually they can happen at other times too. I checked the BBC website for what they thought church did and it came up with this thing it said many churches provide a lot of social good and can make a big difference and it listed things like play groups, food banks, keep fit classes, all good stuff. What else would, would you think of that's good things for churches to do? And it also included in the list that Christians involved in churches also go to churches to worship Jesus. I was glad to see that he got a mention. But what did he say the purpose of church was? I mean, Jesus, the founder of Christianity. What did he say his church is to do? Now, we don't have to guess, because at the end of Matthew's Gospel, among the very last things that he said before getting ready to ascend to heaven, he's talking to his disciples here, the word means learners, apprentices, He tells them right here what to get on with until, having left, he returns. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to do everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, to be true to the intention of Jesus and do what he says, whatever else a church might spend time, energy or money on, the overarching purpose for every church is to make disciples. He doesn't say, come out of all the world and go into church. He says to the church, go out into all the world, go and make disciples. Now, If we obey what he says, if we agree with him that that's what we should be doing, there's actually a lot to be encouraged about right now because many people are really ready to hear about Jesus. We're seeing it here at Ivy all the time, as I said, with thousands of connections online and loads of new people every week checking in in person. At launch last year, we were shown some amazing research called Talking Jesus. This is an unbiased, robust, tested survey tracking since 2015 
And we got the details last year at launch right up to date. And according to that, how many people in the UK do you reckon would describe themselves as Christians? That that's how they self-identify? 48%. Now, I'm not saying they come to church, but they voluntarily, when asked, said, yes, I see myself as a Christian. The next biggest group was 26% of people who now say they don't affiliate to any religion. And what do Brits in the survey think about Jesus? What percentage across all age groups do you think said they believe this, that Jesus is God in human form who lived among his people in the, 20, in, in the first century? 20%. Yeah, that's really a lot. How about this? What percentage of people in the UK do you reckon people on the street ticked a box that said, I believe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead happened word for word as described in the Bible? I'll give you a minute. 16%. That's about 12 million people who said they already believe the Easter message is true. I've met some bishops who wouldn't even tick that box. All of that to say, people are a lot more ready than ever in my lifetime for good news. And the church has the best news all about Jesus. And the opportunity is so great. This can't be left to just a job for a few people like me who get paid for it. In fact, that would put some people off because the survey also said they are way more open to hear about Jesus from a friend like you than a professional like me. And anyway, Jesus said, this is your job. It's all of our job, but it's your job if you're a disciple. The job is to be a disciple maker. So how's it going? See, my job, our job is to help and equip you to do that. And I know churches have historically been fairly terrible at doing that because maybe they said you should do it but they didn't help with the how you should do it and so you end up with lots of people writing themselves off as no good at it but through knowing growing going the course we do here and the discipleship pathway the course and the way we staff around here and all our teachings and what we do here as a church it's all aimed at that it's all aimed at helping you live like a Christian and helping you help others know Jesus too. That's what we exist for. Everything you give to, if you give your money here to Ivy, it's used for that mission. See, the Bible calls it equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's not so I can do the ministry or a few other people can do ministry. While I'm talking about that, quick finance update if I can. See, the good news right now is we're tracking nearly bang on with where we should be right now in terms of income and expenditure at this time of year. When we looked at the budget, they're, they're bang on about the same. But you know why? That's because we've really clamped down and kept expenditure down. And, and that means we've not done some things that we wanted to do, we felt we should be doing, and we budgeted to do. Maybe you know the feeling. It's been a tough time for many of us. And like any other household, the family of the church gets affected by external pressures. One example as a church is that our gas prices for the same amount of gas as we used the year before went up 138% in the last year. So I'm so grateful for all of you who regularly give to help us do what we can do to reach out to the world that the Lord loves through Ivy Church. I don't know what the last year has been like for you financially, but in terms of giving, I've got Mike who has giving details in the church to tell me and make a pie chart because I like things to be simple. And you can see here that in the last year, 58% of you kept giving faithfully at the same level to Ivy Church. Thank you so much. 13% actually raised their giving. I know some people have actually had pay increases 
and they adjusted their giving accordingly. I do that myself. Look up, you know, what the picture is now and what does the percentage look like now. You'll see that some people actually cut back their giving. And I, I mean, I'm even aware of some of the pastoral reasons for why some people have had to do that. And you know what, we love you, we bless you, we completely understand there's no pressure on that. There are times, there are seasons in our lives. And finally, in the last year, we've seen so many new people come into Ivy. And some of you have not just decided to come to church, you, you decided, I'm in. This is my church and you've started setting aside a proportion of the income that God gave you so that together as you give it in, we can do what none of us could ever do alone. So thank you for doing that. You know, when you give, you really are becoming more like God because our God is the greatest giver. He's the most generous giver. He even gave his own son for us. So, you know what, if he never gave me anything else, it's already true that we can never outgive God because he already gave his son. And as a sign that we believe that is true here at Ivy, at the start of every year, we do this big over and above giving day. Over and above what we might normally give, we call it our first fruits offering. Some of you know because you've been here for years. It's going to be here soon and we're going to receive that from those of you who want to give joyfully and gladly and generously in a, in a fortnight. On the first Sunday in February, we'll receive our first fruits offering. I know many people put something aside for this, even rain it in over Christmas to give it in for first fruits. And it's never meant to be a chore, it's never meant to be anything but a, a joyful statement at the start of the year saying, I'm trusting God that God will provide for me in 2024. I don't know where you're at on your journey with giving and stewardship of what God has given you, but the reason I'm talking about this is because we're talking about discipleship. And you can't just spiritualise that and just make it all about prayer times. And I'm talking about stewardship because that's one way we can definitely see whether we're growing in faith and obedience. You know, I can still remember years ago, the first time in a church setting that ever I ever put more than a few quid on a plate that they passed around. I know that sounds old school to people. I realised as I did it though, wow, this must be really real to me because that was beer money. And I was starting to get serious about being a disciple of Jesus then, you see. And I realised I wanted to set my finances in such a place that would honour him. So I wouldn't give God leftovers anymore. I'd give to God first. Before all the standing orders that I had no choice about, them going out, I was going to give to him first and live off the rest. It was a significant spiritual growth step. Now time went on, I read more and more in scripture about stewardship and about what God had done for me and gave me. I can still remember conversations later with Zoe. We even said as a young family now we'd start giving a tithe. Tithe means 10, 10% because that's what we believe when we read scripture. God was saying take this spiritual growth step. You could argue with me about that if you want to, but you won't change my mind because it's been such a blessing to me to be a tither. I've never regretted that decision. And we've kept at it as the world's finances and our own finances have gone up and down because you know what? 10% is always 10%, no matter what. And my testimony is the Lord has always provided for our needs, not just according to our needs, but according to his riches, as the Bible promises, to Jesus' followers, to his disciples, those who want to do life his way. See, that's a great definition of what a disciple is, by the way. Somebody doing life Jesus' way. His first followers weren't called Christians, whether they would tick a box on a survey about that or not. They were called followers of the way, the way 
of the one who is the way, truth and life. Because that way, that truth will affect all of your life if it's real. The best way to live life is as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why he says he wants to make us disciples who then go and make disciples. So, key question. If we are to be and make disciples, what does one look like? Well, you might know I've got connected with a ministry. It's called um, Living on the Edge. It's a wonderful Bible teacher called Chip Ingram. They've got a free app where you can get all kinds of resources and studies just to go deeper. Go to livingontheedge.org. You can download the app for free. And among that, if you look, there's a brilliant 17-day study on what we're going to study next as a church for the next little while as part of our year of transformation on what it is to actually be a disciple. It's called in there True Spirituality. Because how can I make a disciple unless I am a disciple? So this tells us what's the nature, what's the character, what's the core of a disciple. In our year of transformation, this fits perfectly. And today I just want to whet your appetite, introduce the idea to you, because we're then going to spend six weeks one by one, studying from the book of Romans in the New Testament, particularly chapter 12, where you have from the Apostle Paul the profile of a disciple of Jesus, of what it is to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote down in this chapter some very practical and measurable things about what it is to live that out in the new way of life in terms of five, five key relationships, and they all for us now begin with S. There's how I relate to, to God, how I relate to the world around me, how I'm to think about myself as I relate to others, how I relate to other believers as part of the church, and then how do I relate to others who oppose me in this broken world? What's my response to be if somebody hates me or plans evil against me for no reason? What do I do about that? These are all areas in which you can see clearly whether or not a person is really a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to break this down week by week here and in our home groups. We call them grow groups. And, you know, whenever I do this study, I can see there's still so much that the Lord needs to do in me to transform me. By the way, you might have noticed that we've got hand signals to help you remember this. You can do them along with me. Maybe we can even make them into a dance routine too. get working on that one. So number one, number one, What's my relationship to God? What's my attitude or response as a disciple? And the signal for that is hand like this. It's surrender. Or it's number one, putting him number one and surrendering to God. Verse one says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So my relationship to God is that I am to be surrendered to God. That's verse 1. The word give there, give up or present, is the same word that was used for the Old Testament sacrifices where you'd, somebody would bring an animal and they'd bring it to the priest and he'd kill it and lay it on the altar. But now, Jesus died for me in, his, in my place so my sins could be forgiven. What do I do? Well, you present your body as a living sacrifice. What a picture. A picture of surrender. All I am, all in for him. Number two, what's my attitude to be in the world? Do I just go along with the world? No, my relationship to the world system is to be separate. You know, like the Vulcan sign there on Star Trek, if you're into that, if you can do it. It feels a bit odd, a bit different to separate those fingers. Separate from what? From the world's values. You know verse two already. This is our verse for our year of transformation. You know it by now, I'm sure, if you've been coming along. Do not 
conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Not conformed, transformed. Don't let the world push you around and make you to be just like the culture around you. Be a world changer by being transformed by God. Let him renew your mind. The next as a disciple, number three, how do I see myself? What's my self-relationship to be as I self-reflect? Well, number three, the next S is three fingers here on your heart. Sober self-assessment. I'm going to read from chapter 12, verse 3. It says this, to it, verse 8. You have certain gifts, you see, that God gave you. What should you do? What should your attitude be about yourself and using them? Well, verse 3, read it along with me. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with, here's the word, sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, for... Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do you see that? It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Think accurately. Don't be a big head. But at the same time, don't say you're a useless, worthless little worm either. Because God gave you gifts. And you should get accurate about what they are so then you can use them enthusiastically. See, a gift isn't even for you, it's for you to use for somebody else, it's not for you to brag about. Sober self-assessment. One of Living on the Edge's free resources to help with that is a personality and gift-finding questionnaire you can do. Go to therealyou.org and then you can do it easily, you can find out what your gifts are in about 20 minutes. Number four, what's my, my relationship to fellow believers in the church? Put four fingers out, do it like that with me, that hand out. My attitude to believers, look at this practical list that we just had and then don't tell me you don't know where there's anywhere to serve because the next thing is you're to serve in love. That's key, in love. Verse 9, read it along with me. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. What a community picture that is. God never meant for you to go through life by yourself. He's wired the universe in such a way that we need each other. I need you, you need me, we need one another. And that phrase one another is used 58 times in the New Testament. It says things like love one another, care for one another, Encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, greet one another, share with one another. And of course, that must involve serving one another. Church is meant to be service, not just serve us. And there's always a way for us to serve if we love, if we love one another. Finally, number five, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, more and more like Jesus, the longer and closer I follow him, what will I be like when people do me wrong, when 
people, the world mistreats me. Remembering that he'd done nothing wrong, but they did the very worst thing ever to the best person in history when they nailed Jesus to a cross. And what did Jesus say when they were doing that to him? He said, Father, forgive them. That's astonishing. But that was the example the first Christians saw and followed when they too were crucified or tortured or excluded, hated, lied about, persecuted in his name. The Apostle Peter, who himself was crucified upside down, wrote about how to react when evil comes against you like that. He said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, that's a picture for us of this last S, number five, is how to react as a Jesus follower when, whether from the non-believing world persecution comes against you, or even in church, somebody betrays or lies about you. Rather than have a, neutral, a natural response, you, you supernaturally reach up to heaven, connect with God, and you supernaturally respond to evil with good. That's what Paul says as he writes from verse 14. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And then this is where the rubber hits the road. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's so rich, isn't it? So challenging. There's so very much in that. Just in that little passage, I'm going to have to spend a lot more time praying and preparing as we, as we as a staff team bring studies on this for you. But God willing, we're going to look at that in a few weeks' time because each week we're going to take one of these five signs of what it is to be a supernatural Jesus follower, a disciple, who, when we live like this, will not only be one, but will make others want to be one too. See, when I'm living this way, I am becoming the man or the woman God wants me to be. And in our year of transformation, we're going to realise this is grace-based. It's not by performance. It's relational. It's not a solo activity. It's practical, not theoretical. It's how we actually live, and Jesus is our model in it all. And it's also not vague. It's measurable. It's not mysterious, otherworldly. It makes a difference in your life, in your world, and the world around you. So, please... Get in a grow group, read this passage yourself, study it together so we can become supernatural Jesus followers, Romans 12 Christians, because God must work deeply in us before we're going to see him work powerfully through us. So again, let's do the hand thing again together so you can remember these five ways God transforms us to be more like Jesus in all these ways. We're going to pray in a moment, but as we do, let's remember Jesus is our model our example in all of this. We want to be like Jesus. And Jesus lived totally surrendered to God. 
He said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived separate from the world and its values. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He was completely right in his sober self-assessment. He said, I'm the son of God. He, he was filled with the spirit. He was loved by the father. Though he said he did not come to be served, but serving in love, the servant king, even laying down his life for his friends. And when all the forces of evil, all the demons in hell, and all the evil in the hearts of men, all the darkness and horror of this world, all of this sin came upon him, he supernaturally responded to all that ultimate evil with overcoming ultimate good, washing Judas's feet, restoring Peter three times after three denials, telling the thief on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then for me, even more wonderful, even more amazing. He didn't just see all the evil in the world. He looked at the evil in Anthony Delaney, in my heart, all my sin, my rebellion, every hateful word, thought, action. And he could have judged me completely correctly. He could have condemned me and banished me from his holy presence forever. He would have been justified in doing so, but instead he justified me. Instead he supernaturally responded. This is what he does for you and for me. He absorbed it all into himself like a sponge on the cross. He took it all into my grave my death, and he burst out in resurrection life, taking me with him. So I am now righteous with his righteousness, loved with his love, empowered with his power to be his supernatural disciple, whose life now is all about Jesus.